Yes, I did. That would have been a treat, let me tell you. Uh, it's good to see everybody here. I appreciate you coming and being with us and being a part of the service today. And uh, I, uh, I don't know how to tell you to find it, but I'm, uh, I think we're also doing a podcast today. Is that right? Okay, so um, if you have a question, just send me an email or text or something. I'll try to tell you how to find it because I'll find out later how to do that. She's going to post it on the And I hope y'all understand what that means. So. <laughs> All right. Ricky is technologically challenged in so many ways. So many ways, let me just tell you. But anyway, all I know is technology, the best technology I know is we have an automobile and it's better than riding a horse all the time. So, uh, I travel about a thousand miles a week and I'm telling you, that'd be tough on a horse. So I'd wear a horse out quick. Uh, take your Bibles before I get too deep there. Take your Bibles. Let's go to the book of Matthew chapter 20. And uh, I want us to, to think about true greatness this morning and uh, just a story that Jesus gives in the Bible. And shared with us some, some thoughts about, about that and, and what we uh, what we perceive as greatness and what the world perceives as greatness. And, and you know, there, there's always been, ever since the, the beginning of time, there's always been a distinct difference between the value system of the world and the value system of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or God's value system and the world's value system. Um, unfortunately... Sometimes we, we, we can't tell the difference. And I'm going to make a statement, but I want you to be sure you hear me and hear me all the way out. And that is this. There truthfully should not be a difference between God's value system and the world's value system. Because we, as citizens of the world, should adopt His value system and should allow Him to live and work in us, and his value system should be what's prevalent in, in our everyday lives, in our everyday functioning of our world. But it's not that way, because man always has man's ideas, and, uh, you know, uh, most most men think they're like a kin more, they have a better idea. And, uh, you know, the fact is that, that uh, God's ideas are the best, and his value system is the best. So... Uh, we just need to be very careful, but we'll talk about that just a little bit more. Let's read the scripture. Let's go to Matthew chapter 20. We'll begin reading in verse 20. The scripture says, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? And she saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on the left hand, in the kingdom, or in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of, and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They saith to him, We are able. And he saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup, and shall be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. But it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. But Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. 
Whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So let's let's get a picture of this story. Uh, we have to we have to be careful. We have to be very careful of of our value system. And I'm going to tell you that uh, you know. And I see this. And I see it happening regularly. I see it in my life. I see it in other lives as well. Uh, you know, I just I don't ever want you to to walk away from a sermon that I preach thinking that I feel like I'm better than anybody else or that I'm above anybody else. I want you to know I'm 100% human. Um, but I live in a fallen world, and I have a risen Savior. That's where I am. That's who I am. And I try my best to live with his value system, but sometimes we get caught up in the things of the world. I see it happening in the churches. Um, Diane came back to see me in my office a few minutes this morning, and, and we were talking about something. I don't even remember now how we got on the topic, but but I had to look for this song very quickly. And um, and I think, I think the name of the song is Start Right Here by Casting Crowns. Uh, anybody heard that song, familiar with that song? Uh, it, it talks about the church of today. That, you know, we have, a, uh, we, have a, uh, we put our service on the big screen. We have a rock star preacher who won't even awake us from our dreams. And it goes on and on about things. And, and it's basically talking about the church being asleep. And that we as a church have got to wake up and begin to worship the Lord and begin to recognize who He is. Strange that, that God's just filled my head with all this stuff. Last night, uh, I was uh, looking through Facebook and I listened, hadn't had it in years and years. Finally, I got it now and was like, let's check it out and see who's doing what. Well, one of my preacher buddies has posted something and he's talking about uh, being able to worship through raising of the hands, worship through singing, worship through playing the instruments, worship through uh, going to church, worship through reading the scripture, worship through prayer. He's talking about all this different kind of worship. And then he says, but the only thing that really counts is that we worship with the heart. That's what matters. It doesn't matter if you have the, the best voice, if you play the instrument in the best fashion at all possible, if you sing the loudest in the choir. Uh, you know, when I was, I was reading that and I was thinking about this, I thought about the, the story I read years ago about the older gentleman who sang in the church choir. And, and I think somebody, maybe Connie, read that story to us one time when she was leading us in one of our Christmas programs or something. But the older gentleman, and, and finally everybody in the choir decided somebody's got to talk to him because he sings so loud. He's louder than everybody else, and he's off key. His voice is broken, and he sounds terrible, and we just got to do something about it. So they go to him, and they talk to him, and, and they, they just tell him, you know, brother, you're going to have to stop singing in the choir. And, you know, the thing is, he sang from the heart. And the older gentleman spoke to them and shared with them, I don't mind not singing in the choir, but I just sing because I sing to the Lord. I don't sing to people. I don't sing for the choir. I don't sing for the church. I sing for my Lord and my Savior. And guys, that's where we ought to be. Whatever we do, we ought to do it as unto the Lord. And we got to be careful that the world's value system doesn't creep in. Now, listen to me. I don't want you to... Uh, uh, to walk away from the sermon today. If you're on Facebook listening, I don't want you to turn away and say, well, he's going to criticize us for using a big screen. Uh, it happens that we have one. We've got a big screen TV in the back so that, uh, you know, I, I thought originally when we put it up so they could put a note up there. And Caleb did this a time or two. Put a note up there that says time to stop. 
Uh, he didn't really say that, but he would put something up there and it would come on flash a little bit. I kind of know, but anyway. Uh, we also have one up here that we can roll down and, and, and portray things, and we don't use them much anymore, but they're there. And they're good tools, and they're valuable tools of worship. But guys, listen, they can never replace the worship of the heart. It cannot do it. You know, I, I applaud uh, Tony and Janine because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I don't get in front of a mirror and preach my sermon sometime through the week. No comments, please. Uh, somebody's probably going to say, you probably need to. You ought to work on that. Your delivery might be a little better, and it probably would. But they get together. Of course, you know, they are married, and they're there together. But anyway, they practice through the week about the, the music for Sunday morning. Isn't that awesome that they take the time to do that to be able to lead us in worship? And guys, I want, you know, I won't tell you that, but I appreciate you doing that. I really do. I appreciate the fact that you care enough about our worship service to do that and to, to be ready. And, and she has songs picked out and ready for us to sing and, and lead us in a time of worship. But listen, all they can do really is play the instruments, pick out the songs, play the instruments, sing the songs with us, but the worship is going to come from your heart. Amen. And if it doesn't, then it's not their fault. You know, I've had people say, well, preacher, you know, I just couldn't get in the sermon today. You were just off key. And, uh, and I don't mind telling you, I probably am off key several times. But I, I can listen to a sermon where the preacher's even off key, and I can still worship because it's not about him. It's about God. Amen. And it's about my relationship with God. So we have to be very careful because we can slip so easily into the world's value system. Sometimes I see it, I see competitive spirit, nothing wrong with a competitive spirit. Uh, I've seen a lot of competitive spirits, but hey, as a pastor, I am in competition with no other pastor. I want you to know that. I am not, and I will never be. It just doesn't happen that way for me, you know? Uh, I, I, hey, I, I'll be the first one to tell you, any pastor is better than I am, and that's fine. I'm okay with that. I accept that. I love that. I'm excited about that, because I don't mind being at the bottom, Okay. Here's the thing. I am not in competition. I'm here to share the Word of God and share with you what God lays on my heart and just to preach His Word. That's what it's all about as far as I'm concerned, just to share the gospel and hopefully give somebody something that can give some encouragement along the way of life, can point somebody to Jesus Christ and lead them to salvation. That's what I'm here for. Now, as a church, of course, I guess it, me being the pastor as a church, we're not in competition with any other church. I shared with you last week, my heart has been torn apart as, I, as I, I've known and I see congregations that are still not meeting after this pandemic thing. And, and you know, and I understand there's, there's fear of the virus and so on and so forth. But guys, we have to learn to trust the Lord. Amen. And I know I'm going to get some comments and somebody's going to say, well, we trust God, but we're not fools. Uh, you know, I've had people tell me that. And I'm like, I don't, nobody calls you a fool. But if you're concerned about it, then... Take the measures, wear the mask, do the social distancing, whatever you have to do. But by all means, do not shut the church doors. That's the hospital for the sin sick. And if anybody needed church ever in their life, they need it now. Amen. If anybody needed the strength of the church, they need it now. Amen. And let me tell you something. When, when, as far as I'm concerned, the church is the pillar of the community. I, I, I'm sorry. Other people believe different things think the government is and so on and so forth. I hate that y'all believe that. But I still believe the church and Jesus Christ is the pillar of the community. That's the stronghold. That's the part that keeps the community together. And when we shut those doors, what do we have? We have division. And we've seen plenty of that. We have confusion. We've seen plenty of that. We have mass hysteria. We've seen plenty of that. 
Guys, I think it's time America came back and began to worship God. I really do. And to practice his value system. We can so easily get into our culture's way of thinking. The culture's way of thinking is this. And, and, and I'm going to go, I'm not going to get into the pandemic, okay? I already did, but I won't go any deeper. I'll just stop right there. The culture's way of thinking is about church. Now, the culture says church is good, and we should go to church, but let's go to church and have church, and then let's go home and leave the church at the church. That's what the culture says. Now, they won't tell you that in exact words, but look at the lifestyles. Look at the lifestyles. There are those who believe that, that you should wear a three-piece suit and tie that I should as a preacher. You know, I, I don't have a problem wearing a tie. I kind of like to wear a tie now and then. My wife said it makes me look good, so that's why I wear it, if y'all want to know the truth. I don't care whether y'all think I look good or not. If she thinks I look good, that's good enough for me. Amen? Amen. Ain't one woman on the face of this earth I got impressed anymore, and that's my wife. Amen. And that is a tough job, let me just tell you. <laughs> She knows everything about me, and she knows, you know, how I am and who I am and so forth, and it's really hard for me to impress her. So here's, here's the fact of it. It's not about how we dress, but, you know, some, some have that idea. We've got to put on that best clothes. We've got to go to church. We've got to, you know, give God the right place on Sunday morning, and then on Sunday night and the rest of the time, it really doesn't matter. It does matter. It does matter. Our Christian life is not about Sunday morning. It's about seven days a week, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. That's what it's about. Guys, when we accept Christ, we accept him all the way. One of my friends uh, posted on Facebook uh, this morning. I was so excited. Right, they posted uh, three days ago, actually. I just saw it this morning. I tell you how often I check that thing. I missed it last night, but I saw it this morning. One of my friends and his wife, I think she's the one posted it. She said... Greatest news ever, their daughter accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior this week. And I think probably that was a Wednesday night thing happened at church. And was thanking those workers at church for sharing with her and teaching her and so forth. And all excited that she's saved. And I'm excited she's going to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. And guys, I want you to know something. I don't know what that does for you. Probably doesn't mean a whole lot to you. But it meant the world to me. Because I'm thinking, whoa, this little girl knows Jesus. And she's got eternal life. She don't have to wait till she grows up to be 80, 90, 100 years old and passes away to, to have a relationship or to live with Christ. She has it now. Amen. Isn't that exciting? Amen. And guys, when we have Christ in our heart, that's it. We're his now. Not 20 years later, but now. Not 40 or 50 years later, but now. That's exciting to me. And I know people are like, well, preacher, it's just a decision. No. It's eternity. It's life. Most important decision ever. You're exactly right, Kenneth. You're exactly right. Guys, you know, our culture's way of thinking is don't get so excited. It'll be all right. People join the church every day. I want to tell you something. I, I got to be careful how I say this. <laughs> Let me just be honest. Can I be, do I have to be politically correct? Okay. I don't care. I don't care if you join the church or not. I would love for people to join our church. I love people to be part of our church family and to worship with us and sing with us and, and just fellowship with us and be a part of us and we're a part of you. But if you're God's child, you're part of us anyway. Amen? Amen. But it ain't about joining the church. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what I get excited about. I, I'm just tickled to death. Here is this little girl who now knows Christ not only is that guy the Sunday school teachers teach about, but it's that person who saved her soul. Amen. 
Isn't that exciting? And her mother even wrote in the, in, the, in the posting, said that she is saved from her sins. I get excited. Y'all are like, oh, get over it, preacher. <laughs> I will not get over it. I refuse to. I promise you. I love it. I absolutely love it. So here's the thing about it. We can creep into the world's way of thinking. Now, I tell you that story about the little girl to tell you this. Sometimes people think, that they have made that decision, they've joined the church, they're going to follow the Lord and believers' baptism, and, and that's it. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifetime of living for the Lord, that's what it is. Guys, it isn't enough just to go through the waters. It isn't enough just to get your name written down in that book. It isn't enough. It isn't enough just to be at church on Sundays. We have to have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. People try to correct me all the time and say, Preacher, you're wrong. You don't have to go to church to worship. You don't have to go to church to prove that you're a Christian. I, I don't disagree with that at all. Not at all. But I believe without a shadow of a doubt that you have to produce the fruits. The Holy Spirit has to be dwelling in you. And I also believe the Word of God. What's the Word of God say? Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the tradition Remember that word, tradition of some is. But, you know, do not forsake the assembly of yourselves together, the tradition of some is, but when you come together, then worship. Guys, listen, you know what that word tradition means? It's the world's. It's the way it's always been. It's always been that way. We can't change that. It's always been that way. I'm going to tell you, and some of you have been through there with me all the, every step of the way. So the toughest battles we've had at Middleburg was breaking some of the traditions. Nobody said amen. I'm disappointed. <laughs> it's been tough. But you know, it's not that I don't like the traditions, but sometimes the traditions are just that, the traditions. Guys, listen, we, we, we shouldn't have revival just because we've always done it at that particular week. We should have it because there's a spiritual need and there's a hunger and there's a desire and we're at a point where we recognize that, hey, if we pray and we seek his face, then he's going to open the windows of heaven and pour out revival on us. We ought to be at that point. And that's how we have revival, not just because it's our week or just because it's our time. You know, we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't have uh, uh, Bible studies just because we've always done it. I, I, I'm not opposed to having it a different night sometimes, but, you know, we do it customarily. I won't use the word traditionally. Customarily, we do Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We haven't been Sunday nights in a while, but uh, but guys, listen, we gotta be careful that the world's culture, the world's way of thinking, doesn't bleed in and overtake God's way of thinking. And if we're not very careful, it can happen so quickly. We don't even realize that it's happened sometimes. I, I'm telling you, there are people that, that without a shadow of a doubt have no earthly idea that they've adopted the world's way of thinking. And that's what their church is operating on right now. That's what their spiritual life is operating on, is the world's way of thinking. And it's sad, and it's scary, and it shouldn't be happening. So I want to look at the scriptures just for a few minutes. And that was just the introduction, by the way, so now let's have the sermon. <laughs> Let me tell you another real quick story. Uh, Charlotte's like, oh boy, here we go. He's telling stories again. Uh, she's convinced me, uh, actually she didn't do it, I, I'm convinced I've got to do something about my feet, I have a lot of trouble with my feet, so we go and, and we're checking on some inserts and stuff, and, and I'm telling the guy, well I'm a pastor, you know, and I stand a lot on Sundays, 
And he said, man, we get, and of course, he's a salesman. He said, we get these things in your shoes. He said, you're going to be stand, be able to stand forever. Charles said, don't tell him that. <laughs> he already stands there too long. So, <laughs> I had mentioned getting a stool to sit down while I preached. And I think somebody said, don't let him do that. It will definitely be here all day. So, you know, we'll, we'll be okay. But anyway, it's just, just kind of funny to me. But anyway, let's get on with the sermon. Got a long introduction now. We'll have a short sermon. Let's look at the scripture for today. And I want you to get the story that's there. Did you catch the story? Here's this woman. She's the mother of Zebedee's children. So this is this mother. And, and what mother who really cares for and loves her children does not want the absolute teetotal best for her child? Don't you think all mothers do that? Most of them do. I mean, there are some mothers that are mamas and they ain't mothers. Or their mothers and they ain't mamas, one of the two, whichever way you want to say it. Uh, you know, and, and they're like, well, get out here, leave me alone. That kind of thing. But listen, here's the fact. This is a mother who loves her children, who coddles her children, who wants to be protective of her children, who wants the absolute best for her children, who, who says, my children need to, need to be something. They need to make something of their life. Now, have we ever made a statement like that about our kids? Any you mothers ever made that kind of statement? My kids, I want my kids to be something. <laughs> That's a little hands going out. <laughs> yeah, I made a statement. My kids need to be something. So how do we encourage them to be something? Let me tell you, here's, here's the world's view. Please, I know I'm going to get bombarded by this. i got good friends that are in the educational system, and, and I don't have a problem with the educational system as long as the educational system honors God, okay? Um, but, but here's the thing. The world's view is this. you got to get a good education in order to get a good job, and to get a good education, then you can, you, know, you can go on to be a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, a professor, an engineer, those kind of things, and that's where success is, right? I mean, have we not been told for years that if you don't get a college education, you're not going to be very successful? We've been told that again and again and again. My, uh, my former pastor told me this when I was a young boy. I was probably uh, 14 years old, 14, 15, somewhere in that area. He told me, he said, Ricky, I want to tell you something. Uh, he said, because I, 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 I knew then that God was dealing with me and knew then that he wanted me to be a pastor. It wasn't saved until sometime. I preached for a while, but it wasn't saved until sometime later. But I knew. And he said this to me, and he was so right. He said, I'm going to tell you something. Get an education. Get all the education you can get. He said, graduate high school. And keep in mind, my former pastor had a sixth grade education. He said, but graduate high school. Go to college. Get all the college you can get. Graduate college. He said, you won't believe this, but I'm telling you, I've seen such a change in my lifetime. There will come a day when you will not be allowed to stand in the pulpit and preach the gospel if you don't have a doctor's degree. Do you know there are so many churches in our country today that you can't even think about standing in their pulpit if you don't have a doctor's degree? It's not about the degree. But he also told me this. He said, but never, ever, ever let that education take the place of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Let him be in charge. I'm so thankful he gave me that advice. Best advice I've ever been given. I didn't graduate college. I did graduate high school. I know you can't, show, can't tell it by looking and listening. And I got a couple of years of college and, and loved it. Absolutely loved it. I, I, was, I was in college under the absolute best Bible teacher that was ever born, ever walked on the face of the earth. Dr. Travis Stanley Blue Mountain was the absolute best. The best. 
could speak several foreign languages and, and could read several foreign languages. Greek and Hebrew were just second nature to him. And, you know, he had German, I think, and French. I don't know what all other things. But you know what he had more than anything else? He had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he cared about the gospel. And his primary concern was this. I want you to be able to stand in the pulpit and preach the word of God. I don't want you to be able to stand in the pulpit and, and have all this eloquency of speech. It was important to him. We took a, a sermon building and delivery class under him, and, and it was critiqued pretty big, pretty bad, pretty hard, pretty strong. And, uh, you know, the night I, I preached my sermon for the class to critique me, I, was, I had about 103 degree temperature and, and sweat, sweat, sweat. And the number one complaint those guys said was, he just wiped sweat too much. <laughs> and uh, I told Dr. Travis, I said, that's all they got, buddy. I'm glad. <laughs> okay. Because I couldn't have told you even what the title of the sermon was 10 minutes after I got through. But listen, you know, the education is good. But if you let education become the primary and you lose yourself in the middle somewhere, you're, you're out there in the middle <coughs> I think we have a lot of politicians today that have gotten educations and they're basing all of their beliefs and theories on somebody else's thoughts and patterns and it's led us into a terrible place. A terrible place. I'm afraid that a lot of the colleges and universities are ruining our children. I'm sorry. I, I, I don't want to be rude or mean or tell you not to go to college, but I'm telling you to choose it wisely. But above all things, I, I have a good friend who went to school at Union University in Jackson, one of our Tennessee Baptist colleges. And, and he told me this. He said, when I went through school at Union, we had some very liberal Bible professors. Very liberal professors. And uh, one of them, you know very well, Kenneth, he told me, he said, uh, he said, you know, I was there. He said, we'd have a test. And, and I had to put his answer on the test or I failed the test. He said, I'd write his answer. And then I'd say, but the correct answer is. <laughs> and, and he had some discussions with the professor about it. He said, provoked a lot of discussions, I think is how he said it, with the professor. So, you know, but I admire, I admire his, his strength, his courage, and his faithfulness to God. That, hey, this is what the professor said. This is what you said in class. But this is not true. That's not what the Bible says. And guys, I'm going to tell you something. I, I appreciate your faithfulness and your loyalty, and I appreciate the confidence you have in me. And, and I know some of you are thinking, well, who are you talking about? But I want you to know this. If I ever tell you something that's contrary to the Word of God, stand with the Bible. Don't stand with me. Stand with the Bible. Amen. Listen, check it out. When I tell you stuff, check it out in the Word. And if I'm telling you wrong, then, then come to me and tell me. I'm not going to get mad and blow up at you and throw you out the door. We'll sit there and talk about it. And hey, I've been proven wrong before. Can y'all believe that? It's true. It's happened. I'm not always right. Uh, people sometimes, uh, I had a lady the other day tell me, she said, well, you're, you're the expert on those things. And I'll probably tell this story over and over again, but I am not the expert. Over, I still cling to that definition. When somebody calls me an expert at anything, I correct them immediately. I am not an expert. I'm not a has-been under pressure. That's what an expert is, according to Adrian Rogers' definition, and I like the definition, so I refuse to do that. But here's this mother that wants the best for her children. She wants one to sit on Jesus', Jesus right hand, one to sit on his left hand. I'm about to give you the wrong hands there. One to sit on the right and one to sit on the left. And, and she was just wanting the best for her children. And so, you know, what better way to do that than just to go and sit down and talk to Jesus and say, Lord, I, you know, and... 
I guess you could kind of form the picture of here's this mother that's saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to surrender my children to you, and I'm going to let them come and, and serve with you. I'm going to let them come and walk with you. But listen, I want them to have one on the right hand, one on the left. That's where I want them to be. Could you, could you give me that wish, Jesus? He answered, and let me tell you, this is, a, this is a powerful answer. Jesus said, first off, can you, can you drink of the cup that I'm going to drink of? Can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? And I really don't think, I really don't think he's talking about water baptism. I think he's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what I think he's talking about. Drinking of the cup that he's drinking of? Are you willing to sacrifice your life for other men? Are you willing to lay it all down, to give it all up, and to give everything so that others may come to know Christ? Come to know the Father. Are you willing to do that? And these guys immediately pop up. Yes, we're ready. We're willing. We can do that. Jesus looks at them and he says, you will drink of my cup. You will be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with, but it's not in my power to give you the right and left positions that belongs to the Father. It'll go to those for whom the Father has prepared that place. You know what Jesus said? I don't even know my Father's will on that. That's up to him, not me. You guys, let me tell you, Here's, the, here's this world uh, vision, this world value system creeping in. Here's a mother who says, let me talk to Jesus. I want to get the best for my kids. I don't care about those other ten guys. I want the best for my two. I'm not responsible for them. Let their mamas talk to him about them, right? I'm going to talk to him about mine. Well, the other ten, they, here we go with some more of this world view. The other ten get indignant about it. I looked up that word indignant. They get upset about it. The thing is, they're angry. And they're beginning to plot and plan their revenge. How are we going to take care of them? You know what my thoughts first went to? Joseph and his brothers. They started devising a plan on the world's system, belief system, and, and sold their brother into slavery. And guess what? Their brother wound up being the one that saved their lives and their fathers. But anyway, they, they got angry and so... You know, all these things. She wanted greatness for her children and, and honor for her sons. Greatness and honor is not achieved by power or position. It is not. It is not. Guys, we uh, naturally it caused that, that uh, other ten disciples to be angry and, and seek revenge. But Jesus calls them all together and he begins to tell them these things. Listen, fellas, it's not about that. Now, see, Here's, here's my thoughts. Now, what I'm going to give you right now is Ricky wanted to. This is my interpretation of what's happening in the Scripture. I think we've got 12 men here. Two of them want to be great because their mama says, I want you at the right hand of Jesus. I want you at the left hand. I want my boys there. we got the other 10 who are thinking we're in competition with each other, and whoever does the best job is going to get that right and left hand position. They want to be Jesus' right hand man or his left hand man, right? I think he was he was including lefties. That's what I think. He was doing to tell us his story. Well, leave them out. Right or left, it doesn't matter. I, I, I wouldn't be a upset to sit on either side of Jesus, would you? Not at all. So anyway, that's where they get to. And, and so maybe they're all having this little competitive spirit. And now they have this little competitive pity party. And Jesus tells them the story. He tells them the truth. And he calls them together and he explains something very important. He says to them, it, it, it's the world's way to get a position and to exercise authority over others, that's the world's way of, of moving to the top, so to speak. That's the world's view. 
But listen, the Lord's way is not that way. His way is this. If you, uh, if you want to move to the top, it's not self-promotion. It's not by, you know, look at me and look at all that I have done. His way is to humble yourself before the Father and become the minister to those who need ministry. Become the servant to those who need serving. And being the servant to others, let the Father see His will in you. Amen. Guys, it's not about power and position. Uh, I know uh, sometimes we have, uh, we have ministers, we have preachers whose uh, position kind of floats up to the head and so forth. And, and just, you know, it creates a bad situation, just a bad situation. I can assure you this, I don't think I'll ever be accused of being a rock star preacher. First off, I don't like rock music. And uh, I, sure, I sure ain't gonna dress like that. I can't have to that. We were, we were driving yesterday and Charles said, oh my goodness, that woman's gotta be over 60. Look at that pink hair. <laughs> no, I shouldn't have that. We're on Facebook, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh man. I don't know how I get that foot in my mouth sometimes, but I can't just can't see me that. But, but Jesus said this to his disciples. He encouraged them to follow the example. He said that he didn't come to be served. He didn't come for that purpose, but rather he came to serve others. Isn't that what he said in verse 28? Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus tells his disciples, this is your job. This is your ministry. This is your calling. This is what you've responded to. This is what the Father expects. And guys, I believe that message is still the same for us today. That he didn't call us to, to, uh, to be ministered to. He didn't call us to be taken care of. He calls us to minister and to take care of. To be the servant to others. He didn't come for that purpose. He came that he might win others. Jesus paid the price. He paid for my sin and for your sin. He paid the ransom for me. You know, sometimes people are like, well, you don't have to get so excited about it. Sure I do. Hey, he paid the ransom for you. That's one thing. But he paid the ransom for me. And I'm excited about that. And you ought to be excited that he paid the ransom for you. Okay? It's just an exciting thing to know that Jesus did that. So here's my, my closing as Christians, we are to follow Jesus' example. We are to be, we're to submit to the Father. We're to submit to servanthood. You know, I, there are sometimes people who are like, well, I don't have any trouble submitting to the Father because you don't get any higher than God, right? But I just don't want to be nobody's servant. I'm not going to let people wipe their feet on me. <laughs> let me ask you something. Study the life of Christ. And what did it mean for Jesus to be a servant? Did, did people uh, walk by and say, oh, thank you, Lord, for serving me and offering a tip? Did people come by and say, Lord, I, I thank you for being such a good servant and such a faithful minister? In fact, they lined him up, tried him, and then nailed him to a cross. So I'd say they wiped their feet on him pretty bad, wouldn't you? I'd say they walked over him pretty tough and pretty hard. And they were pretty strong-willed about it. So why in the world do we get upset when somebody says, well, I don't like what you're doing? <laughs> I had one preacher tell me one time, he said, if everybody likes what I'm doing, it means I'm wrong. 
If somebody's not getting irritated about what I'm doing, it means I'm not doing what the Father wants me to do. Because, guys, his ways are not the ways of the world. And when you buck the system, what happens? The system gets all messed up. <laughs> it gets all messed up. <laughs> Heard the story of the man who uh, paid a, a, a note or a bill or something and, uh, and, and then he was given change and he counted his change at the window and, and the uh, cashier was like, seriously, this guy's going to count the change. But he counts the change and she had given him about $50 too much change. And he says, ma'am, this isn't right. And she says, sir, I've been doing this for years. And how dare you tell me that this isn't right? He said, well, I, I'm just telling you that I counted it and there's $50 too much here. And she said, no way. He said, well, I'd like you to count it. And she counted it and it was $50 too much. So she said, well, everybody makes mistakes. No, thank you. No, I'm sorry. You know, she ought to be grateful that he was honest. Amen. He's probably a Christian. Ask you, as a Christian, would you give the 50 back or would you keep it? <laughs> I'm sorry, that's a trap. Uh, but as Christians, we are to follow Jesus' example. We are to submit to the Father and to the spirit of servanthood. I don't mind being uh, submitted to the spirit of the Father, but I just don't want to be submitted to that servanthood thing. I don't want to be somebody else's servant. I'm going to throw political correctness out the window again. I'm going to be as honest as I can be, and, and I hope it doesn't make you angry, but if it does, maybe it'll make a change. If you don't want to be somebody else's servant, you're not fit for the kingdom. Amen. I mean, I don't know any other way to take it. I, everything I read in Scripture, it tells me that. That if I'm not willing to be the servant to others, I am not fit for the kingdom. And you know what it means if I'm not fit for the kingdom? I don't have the Holy Spirit living in me. I'm not saying you're not, no, no. I, I am not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But I can tell you this, there is no better feeling or gratification in the world than being a servant to someone who needs serving. No better, no better. No better feeling. You know, again, I, I think it was last Sunday I shared the sermon the Apostle Paul said that I become all things to all men. I paraphrase, I become all things to all men that I might by all means then some. Guys, he expects us to submit to that servitude. In ministry, we must consider ourselves, we must consider ourselves as servants and our work as under his authority. In all of our ministry, we've got to consider ourselves as servants and under his authority. Now I want to tell you one more thing. Most of us aren't in full-time ministry. We are, but that's not how we make our living. We have a secular job, right? Or we've retired from a secular job. How should we look at our secular job? In our secular job, and I wrote this down so I didn't forget, we must consider ourselves as servants and our work as under his authority. Do all that you do as unto the Lord. Amen. All that we do as unto the Lord. We are to humble ourselves and submit to those who are in charge showing their value and showing that we understand their authority 
And uh, I, was, I was reading something that Charles Stanley wrote, and Charles Stanley put this statement in there, and I agree with him 100%. Yes, sometimes it means that we have to overlook their stubbornness, we have to overlook what we think would be their ignorance. We have to overlook what would be their haughtiness. We have to overlook what would be their taking advantage of us or however you want to word it. Yes, we are to submit ourselves to their authority and to recognize our work is as unto the Lord. Maybe, maybe you're the person that God's put in that place to lead that person that's over you to Jesus Christ. And if they can see Christ in you, then maybe they can come to know him as their personal Savior. Our applause and our appreciation isn't here on earth. Our applause and our appreciation is in heaven. That's where our reward is. It's in heaven. And guys, you know, I don't expect to sit at Jesus' right hand or at his left because I know there are servants much, much greater than me. But I know this. I'm going to be there with him. I'm going to be there with him. I don't have to sit at his right or at his left, but I'm going to be there with him because I've submitted my life to him and I try to do my work as unto the Lord. Sometimes it's hard to remember that I, I should be doing that, but that's where we should be. We're going to have a time of invitation this morning. I'm going to just pray this morning that, that uh, just tell you that I'm praying that, that you would uh, just truthfully submit to the Father. Submit to God the Father as your personal, Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. Submit your life to Him and submit to the servitude that He's called us to. He didn't call any of us to be bigger than anybody else, but He's called us all to be servants. We're going to have that time of invitation. I pray you just be obedient to the Holy Spirit this morning. Let God have His way.